citizens, welcome to Beer Me a Movie. I'm Dave Michaels. And I'm the disembodied lips of Brian Betts. That's like the sexiest thought I've ever had in my <laughs> life. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm just like imagining them like nice and lipsticked up and just super duper close up. And we can judge your teeth, but also oh, be like, please don't. they're like a little <laughs> jagged. I'd imagine just like the, the mouth in this movie. Yeah, they look like a staircase. They kind of do. A little bit. Those are the teeth of uh, one of the actresses, right? Magenta, whoever uh, plays her. Patricia fucking Quinn. <laughs> that one. That's right. Man, I'm just too <laughs> excited right now to even like focus. Did not expect that to be the first fucking of the episode, but here we are. Here we are. It's a, a pre-everything fucking, really. That's a rarity. It's appropriate for the movie. <laughs> I think you're absolutely right. Uh, arbitrary scoring, yada, yada, yada. You guys know how it all goes. You should drink too. Hopefully. If not, listen to last week's episode as your first episode. Why not? Yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) This week, we are gathered to talk about the final movie of Spooktober. And uh, it's been (laughs) spooky-ish. Spooky adjacent. You could make arguments for most of the movies we've talked about. You kind of, Cam. Uh, it turns out we're really bad at doing horror movies. <laughs> like, even when we do a month of all horror, we're like, maybe we don't really do horror. We kind of both skirted around it a little bit. I feel like I got the closest with House, even though you did The Exorcist. I did The but... Exorcist. I don't know if you can get closer oh, man. to The Exorcist. This one has the word horror in the title. It's in the title, so you can't fight us on that. You cannot fight us on that. I'm watching like the thing play out on IMDb right now, and it's just Tim Curry singing to me. Scary. And I love it so damn much. Like I the understand best is scary. why both Janet damn it. and Brad were just like, yeah, why not? Yeah, I why not? But we are talking about the Rocky Horror Picture Show from 1975, directed by Jim fucking Sharman. Jim fucking Sharman, who did this movie and Shock Treatment, which is kind of a sequel, but also like a lot of theater. He didn't really do a whole lot of movies. No, but I'm so happy he did this one. I've seen this one now a number of times. Never live. See, now I have seen it live twice, and okay. it's an experience for sure. I've seen The Room live. Is that similar? I've never seen The Room live. I would love to. You can have scotchka passed around, and it's gross, and have birthday cake the same time because it's johnny's birthday oh, okay yeah i mean you throw rice you throw toast there's all sorts of stuff i'm like so curious to see this one live i've heard stories ab- about it it's something that it's hard to put into words it's something that has to be experienced i'm a virgin as they call it and i had to look up what that actually meant and we'll get there i hate that you looked it up i only looked up if there are variations of what people do to Yes. Rocky Horror Virgins in person. There are, apparently. There and are. And we will talk about it. Vast. I'm so curious to hear your experiences <laughs> with it. Can we please get into it? I am just bubbling right now. Absolutely. Let's get right into it. Writer McStrikely did what he does and actually has a little bit of a preamble in this episode. So That's astounding. Ladies and gentlemen, aliens and transvestites, gather around as I weave you a tale <laughs> stranger than fiction wilder than your wildest dreams, and perhaps even more eyebrow-raising than your Aunt Gertrude's latest knitting project. I guess Auntie Gertrude uh, knows how to crochet like a motherfucker. I like when when Auntie Gertrude makes an appearance. (laughs) Yeah, it's right. (laughs) 
buckle up because we're about to dive into the mad musical world of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Our story begins with lips. Yes, lips. Not your everyday lips, mind you, but lips that can sing. Well, hold on a second there, because that sounds like your everyday lips. It does sound like everyday lips. Most lips I know are capable of singing. Most lips. But these lips, they croon about science fiction and double features setting the stage for the bizarre adventure that's about to unfold. Those lips, man, they suck you right in, and it sets the tone so perfectly (laughs) for what this movie is. Pun intended? No, I don't think so. Get your head out of the gutter, you little pervy boy. I mean, listen, there are lots of things lips can suck. It's not, I'm not, you're the one who made it dirty. (laughs) That's very fair. (laughs) Uh, In my head, though, my head was very much in the gutter because as I was even saying that most lips can sing and you agree with it, my first thought was like, what about vagina dentata? Well, that would be teeth, but I know where you're going with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not a big leap. I would say like 60% of lips are able to sing that's still pretty high anyway (laughs) (laughs) picture this it's back it's back (laughs) whenever he feels like wow a dark and stormy night sets the stage with rain pelting down and thunder crashing providing the perfect dramatic backdrop for the arrival of a freshly engaged brad played by barry bostwick and janet susan fucking sarandon i love how they get engaged at this church after a friend's wedding yeah, why not? That is just taking the wind out of all of your friends' sails. Because I don't know how weddings worked back then. I'm doing air quotes because I don't know when this movie takes place. But presumably they're going to a reception. And you don't want to show up at that reception with a fancy new bling on your finger and going like, Hey, what's up, Julie, you bitch? Look what I got. <laughs> I can't tell if there's a reception or not because it seems like they're just peacing out. They're like, oh, let's go talk to this professor we used to have and tell him the good news about our engagement. That is a weird choice of things to do. It's like, ah, the wedding's over. Might as well get engaged, damn it. Janet. hey This is the first time I noticed that Tim Curry and Richard O'Brien and Patricia Quinn are in this scene. They're in the wedding. They're in the, yeah, they're like. Well, in the wedding picture. They're as American as gothicking in the back yeah. row. And so I good. Never really noticed it until this time. The professor who kind of narrates the film. The criminologist. He literally drew a circle and pointed an arrow to them in that picture. Well, how about that? And you didn't pick that up. Never picked that up. Could not have made it any more plain and clear. Can I ask you a question about this? Sure. Yeah. Did you watch this with closed captioning? I sure did. You fucking monster. Maybe that's why. Maybe that's why. This is why why you can't do that. (laughs) I have zero fucking patience for people who watch everything with subtitles. This is the first time I've ever watched it with subtitles. Oh, so just the other times. I was just oblivious. Go, well, to be it. fair, right. <laughs> at least two of those times, there were people live reenacting it in the room. Very fair. I can understand so. that one then. And there, my attention was a little bit more on them. Okay. <laughs> little do Brad and Janet know, they're about to trade in their ordinary lives for a front row seat in the wacky carnival that is Dr. Frankenfurter's castle. It's a place where high heels are higher, corsets are tighter, and sanity Well, that's been left at the intergalactic border checkpoint. Darn right it has. Inside, Brad and Janet encounter a motley crew of characters, including Riff Raff, played by Richard fucking O'Brien, a goth butler straight out of a Transylvanian Vogue magazine. The creator of all of this, Richard fucking O'Brien. Written by him, uh, based on the musical that he originally wrote. The music is by him. This is all 
Riff Raff's creation. Goddamn right it is. Magenta, played by Patricia fucking Quinn, the maid, who could double as a gothic Disney villain on Halloween night. She's got the lips. We talked about her already. Yeah. She goes full Brad Frankenstein eventually. Right. And let's not forget Columbia, played by little fucking Nell, a groupie with a love for tap dancing and a wardrobe that seems to have been borrowed from every era in history simultaneously. That's a weird way of putting it, but it's not wrong. I thought it was also a strange way, but Ryder McStrikely nailed it. I guess he kind of did. It's very flapper-ish, but it could be like pre-flapper, post-flapper. It's a lot of flapping. <laughs> you know, post-flap. That's what they do. with That's the, uh, right. It's a movement. The post-flapper movement. I'm pretty sure the post-flapper movie, it's just the Great Depression. <laughs> yeah, I think you're Like, right. everyone was just way too happy in the 20s that it just crashed and burned. There's like, everybody, I got some bad news. We got to stop flapping. I'm too sad to flap. <laughs> it's like a depressed bird. Yeah. Why don't you leave the nest? I can't, man. That's too fucking sad to flap. You expect me to flap in these economic conditions? Ever since Elon Musk bought the blue bird i just can't seem to get these wings up oh, too real it is too real to greet the newcomers they all dance the time warp a dance that's so catchy you'll be doing it in your sleep yeah i'm pretty sure i have been since i watched this movie again well i mean it is just a jump to the left it's like the ultimate party when this thing happens i think it's such an incredible moment in this movie and it's amazing to me that they do it so early and you realize there's a whole movie to go there's still and this an is like movie. the show stopper already. I guess in the original production, it was just meant to fill time. It wasn't even supposed to be anything. It was just like, let's put this song in here too. And then it was like, oh, this is the best song. Okay. Let's make this the literal crux of the entire story now. Yeah. The time warp. The time warp. Enter a mad scientist with a penchant for fabulousness. Frank Inferter, played by Tim fucking Curry. There's not enough fuckings in the world. I was going to say, it's a shame that it's only Tim Curry, but you really should put like five or six fuckings in between that. It's like Tim fucking the fucking Kerr fucking re. I think you nailed it there. Or as best you could nail it. Exactly. Frank and fucking Furter is strutting around his castle like a glam rock star on steroids. It's like Bowie in this time on steroids. He reveals to Brad, Janet, and his fellow castle dwellers his latest creation, Rocky, played by Peter Hinwood, who emerges from a tank looking like he just stepped out of a 70s fitness video, <laughs> if those videos involved mad scientists and dramatic lighting, that is. There's so much happening here at this point, because you have Tim Curry get involved in the yeah. entire story. And what Tim Curry is doing here as Frankenfurter, I have no problem saying it is one of the best performances ever captured on film. Ever. I have no problem Full stop. I saying that. I completely agree. You cannot take your eyes off of his performance. He no. steals every scene he's in. Anytime he's in frame, you are just focused dead on him. He is incredible in this movie. Richard O'Brien has actually said that at the time, he really didn't like Tim Curry because of how much attention he was getting, and he got all the good lines, and he's like, yeah, I was a little jealous, but everything worked out just fine. It did work out just fine. And for people who are a little too PC out there, sorry for saying he, him for the Tim Curry role. I understand he's a sweet transvestite from Transylvania. I get it, but Transsexual help us out just a little bit, man. I can't keep the focus that long. <laughs> That's just yeah. a, a thing in my brain that it turns off every now and then. I go, 
It's Tim Curry, man. He's the bad guy in Home Alone 2, lost in New York. He's the butler in Clue. He's Pennywise the Dancing Clown. He's Nigel fucking Thornberry. Which is the one that blows my mind the most. (laughs) (laughs) I am so happy that I was lucky enough to see Tim Curry on Broadway. And I know I've talked about this before somewhere. Lucky son of a bitch. I saw him as King Arthur in Spamalot. And my God, was it amazing. (laughs) That's absolutely incredible. A miss seduction, strange experiments in a party that never seems to end. Chaos ensues. You know, more chaos. I like how we just had this unwrapping of this boy, I guess. I Frank this, and yeah. created this kind of sex puppet for himself. This Adonis with gold shorts. Who doesn't talk for good reason. For very good reason. <laughs> they didn't want Peter Hinwood to talk. He was originally supposed to have lines, and then they realized... Okay, this guy is such a shitty actor. We really need to just take away everything from him. And he sings sort of towards the end briefly. Yeah. And they just dubbed over it with someone else who can actually sing. <laughs> it might have actually been Richard O'Brien. I love that they recognized this and they just did it. They yeah. said, fuck it, do it. And it's all kind of part of the joke now, too. It fits yeah. in so well with the tone of this movie. Big time. Eddie, played by Meatloaf. Meat fucking loaf. The one and only is a headbanging biker, and he meets a grisly end, and Frankenfurter justifies it as a mercy killing. Meatloaf literally crashes through a door of a freezer, rides yep. a motorcycle around this room that just has two ramps going up and down, sort of, just around the room. Sometimes you gotta have a ramp room. Maybe that's what was missing from Clue, a ramp room. A ramp room? <laughs> I saw a TikTok earlier this week that was um that literally said that Clue is just the sober version of Rocky Horror Picture Show. Like it's a sober person's take on what happened during Rocky Horror Picture Show. That's not terribly wrong. I feel like it's probably accurate. You know why I didn't see that? Because you're not on TikTok? Because I'm 35 and I'm not on TikTok. Yeah, that's that's probably fair. <laughs> I said I saw a TikTok, not that I was on TikTok. Brian, do you have a TikTok? Yeah. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Fine. Meatloaf ends up in this freezer, and Frankenfurter just walks up to him and just knifes him to death. Just dabs him up. He's like, yeah, you know what? You're not supposed to be alive. But I like how he kind of just walks out of this freezer. He's like, yeah, that's a mercy killing. And everyone's like, yeah, all right. Doesn't he use half of Meatloaf's brain to create Rocky? Yeah. It's an experiment. And Meatloaf has the big cut on his forehead big from the brain star. removal. It's wonderful. Yeah. It's great. I hope that Rocky got the part of Meatloaf's brain that got vaccinated. I do. That would explain why Meatloaf is no longer with us. <laughs> That's right. But Peter Hinwood somehow is. You know, he's an antiques dealer now. Is he really? We'll not talk about this movie, though. For what reason? Because he doesn't have lines in it? I just, I guess it was a different part of his life. Lean in, Peter Hinwood, man. You're selling antiques. Unless you're on The Road Show. I mean, you got to have something else going on. You're slinging teeks, man. Talk about Rocky Horror. <laughs> there was a rumor for a while that he kicked people out of the store that brought up Rocky Horror, but that's been debunked. He he doesn't care if people bring it up. He just doesn't really want to talk about it. If I looked as good as Peter Hinwood did in this movie, that's all I would talk about for the rest of my life. Hey, did you guys see my body in Rocky Horror? Did you guys see when I was in shape? Back then, before I was slinging <laughs> antiques as an antique. Hey, man, sometimes that's what you got to do. You get out of quote-unquote acting, and your body goes to shit. You got to start slinging some tinks. Janet discovers her newfound love for 
well, love, and Rocky discovers a whole new world outside his tank. They fucked. They totally fucked. (laughs) Janet's song is so damn good here. So good. Susan Sarandon's having a really wonderful time, and I could watch her have a wonderful time all the time. Absolutely. She is crushing it. Apparently, she got the role accidentally. How? I guess she showed up to just say hi to Tim Curry, and they're like, you should audition for this, and because everybody we talk to is, they're, they're singers, they're not good comedy actors. And she's like, well, I can't really sing. And they're like, sing happy birthday for us. And she did, and they're like, you have the role. <laughs> All right, great audition. But that seems to be like a Susan Sarandon move, because the way she got her role in Bull Durham was she more or less berated Ron Shelton, the writer-director of Bull Durham, for the role. She said, I'm perfect for this. You know it. I know it. I'll audition. I'll come on in. We'll do this thing. But you know I'm perfect for this role. And she kept it up the entire time through casting. And eventually, he just had a cave because she was absolutely perfect in that role. Susan Sarandon, Bull Durham, one of my biggest crushes by a long shot. You give me Susan Sarandon talking baseball, man, I'm in. (laughs) I'll breathe through my eyelids all day for her. I've never heard that expression before, but I'm a big fan. Well, you will, because we're talking Bull Durham uh, one day. I don't know if it's going to be coming up soon, or if it's going to be wait until next baseball season to happen, or it's going to be me missing baseball sometime in the winter randomly and saying, yeah. hey, we're talking Bull Durham, but it's coming, buddy. It's coming. Hey, I needed my baseball fix. Let's do this. I'm a Mets fan. I don't get much of a baseball fix ever, so That's I take fair. what I can get, and typically that involves Susan Sarandon. Telling Tim <laughs> Robbins to wear a woman's underwear so he takes his mind off pitching. A boy who breaks his arm and then can throw a fastball very, very hard as a Chicago Cub. Or a little boy who now owns the Twins. Yeah. Or an angel in said outfield. Hey, hey, you got an angel with you right now. <laughs> <laughs> what well, a movie I want to see that has never been made and it should be made to what? be all inclusive is Atheists in the Outfield. Oh, yeah, that would be a different take. How you see, like, newfound phenom Hidalgo Vizcaino or something like that. He hits a home run and he points <laughs> up to the, the heavens when he steps on home plate. And the manager says, I got to pull you, son. Not here. <laughs> Not in this park. <laughs> you get that shit out of here. You went on talent alone. Not yeah. on the big guy upstairs. All right. And throughout the course of the movie, Pedro Pascal learns a very important lesson. And then at the end of the movie, after they've won the championship, they're like, how are you feeling right now? And he's like, I just want to thank nobody because I did this myself. <laughs> it's going to be like that bowler who rolled the strike. That one time, that video. <laughs> who are you? I am. <laughs> I was hoping for more of an Angels in the Outfield and an Airbud crossover. But yeah, that's that's good. Well. There is such a thing as too much of a good thing. (laughs) Angel bud. All dogs go to the outfield. (laughs) There it is. We did it. (laughs) It was just sitting there, man. (laughs) And you got to have a catchy ass song like, why should I worry? Why should I care? Because that's the only thing anyone remembers about that dog movie. That's true. Can we have a dog movie month? (laughs) Is that too much to ask for? (laughs) I feel like that's... That would be appropriate, yes. It would be if we want to lose some listeners. Yeah, that's a great way to go about it. Yeah, but only the cat fans. We lose some cat people? Well, that's fine. I don't care. Uh, We call them fucking pussies for a reason. (laughs) Where were we? Uh, Rocky Horror. That's right. (laughs) 
Enter Dr. Everett V. Scott, played by Jonathan fucking Adams, a UFO investigator searching for his nephew, Eddie. I like how they double down that because he's an uncle, but he's also a UFO investigator. And he's like a professor from Janet and Brad's school days. And he's also in a wheelchair. (laughs) He is in a wheelchair and he gets dragged through the entire mansion into the room where everybody is that has no door through the wall. I like how you said that he gets dragged. I like that quite a bit. Is you played on some words, my friend, and it was wonderful. <laughs> the dinner table becomes a spectacle of horror as they realize the main course is Eddie. It's great because Dr. Frankenfurter very not so subtly hints that they're eating Eddie yes. at this dinner table. And it seems to go over some people's heads, and then eventually he just pulls the tablecloth, and it's just Eddie's corpse in the table. And the only people who knew that that part was happening were Tim Curry Richard O'Brien, and Meatloaf. Beautiful. So all those reactions were genuine. Q shock screams and a lot of emotional trauma. In a grand finale, everyone is turned into naked statues and back again, now dressed in fishnets and thongs. Yes, you heard that right. The floor show begins with cabaret singing in a swimming pool. This ending goes on for a solid 20 minutes, maybe even longer than that. (laughs) It's so long. Like the movie has reached its full escalation, and yet... It's not even close. It's not done yet. As the night draws to a close, the castle's alien inhabitants, Riff Raff and Magenta, rebel against Frankenfurter, leading to a climactic laser gun showdown on the RKO Tower. So it turns out Riff Raff and Magenta, they're aliens from transsexual Transylvania. Right. The, the planet transsexual in the galaxy Transylvania. But it's so strange here because... They tell Tim Curry, like, no, dude, this isn't going to work out. We're taking you with us. And Tim Curry goes into this really, really emotional song about going home. Yeah. And I actually got moved this time watching his performance because they do those close-ups on Tim Curry. His makeup's very much coming off as Frankenfurter. He wipes his eyes and you see, like, his eyelashes get pushed out of place. So, you know, it was just mostly an act that he's doing, leaning into it. Right. But he is this... Big time drama queen, too. So he goes the whole nine. He acts the fuck out of this. This is so beautifully done. Absolutely, It's phenomenal. But I also love at the end, Riff Raff's like, you misheard me. You're not going home. We're actually going to laser you here with my trident laser. We've got this Uh, trident laser gun thing that shoots out cartoon lightning bolts, and we are going to get you. And then naturally, instead of running off stage, he climbs the scenery. The RKO Tower. Yes. Frankenfurter and Columbia meet their untimely demise, and Rocky, mourning his creator, falls to his death. I like how it wasn't the lasers that killed the beast. No. But it was a fall into a swimming pool from a moderately high (laughs) scenery tower. Yeah. I mean, they did mention King Kong briefly in the opening song, so they had to play it out. It's Chekhov's monkey. (laughs) Chekhov's opening ballad. That's right. In the end, as the castle blasts off into the cosmic unknown, leaving Brad Janet and Dr. Scott crawling in the dirt, contemplating the meaning of it all. And we're all left pondering the meaning of life, the universe, and why on earth we haven't worn fishnets and glitter on a Tuesday afternoon. 42. That seems to be the answer, right? That's what I keep hearing. Don't panic. That is the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Directed by Jim fucking Sharman. This movie is phenomenal. So fucking good. I love it so much. Disclaimer alert. 
gonna fanboy pretty damn hard scoring this movie. <laughs> Real hard. Story motivation. Eight. Oh, okay, yeah. This is going to be the moment where I, I come down to Earth just a tiny bit. I'm not fully on the planet transsexual yet. There it story is. Story motivation, but it's about to get wild. I promise. Yeah. yeah, the story, you got these two lovebirds who end up at this castle. All sorts of shenanigans happen. They ensue. Tom Foolery. Tom Fuckery. Tom Fuckery, indeed. That's an eight. Casting. You have Tim Curry reprising the role of Dr. Frankenfurter from the stage show. You right. have Richard O'Brien as Riff Raff, Magenta, Patricia Quinn, Columbia, Little Nell. They all reprised their roles from the stage show. They replaced Janet and Brad with Susan Sarandon and Barry Bostwick. Right. Because they needed a bit of star power to sell this movie a little bit, to get people yeah. in the seats. They fit in perfectly. Yeah. Uh, they famously took a cut in budget to keep the stage cast and also agreed that in return they would cast a couple of Americans and the uh, the roles of Janet and Brad. Steve Martin did audition for the part of Brad Majors and that would have been a very too much. Movie. <laughs> that is a lot to handle. <laughs> I wonder how that would have changed the trajectory of his entire career. I feel like the reason why Susan Sarandon and Barry Bostwick work is because they leaned in and it's yeah. two comedy actors but they're not going too over the top they're having fun with it whereas steve martin i feel like goes over the top in a way that That's, only he can really pull off yes you forgive it because it's steve martin exactly you can't really have that in this movie you have charles gray as the criminologist uh, they wanted vincent price and he wanted to do it but he had some other engagement and the production company also wanted Elvis for Eddie instead of Meatloaf. And I'm so glad we got Meatloaf instead. I am too, but this would have been an interesting Elvis role. I don't want really to say that. Such a weird Elvis role. It would be. Uh, Charles Gray, I think, kills it. Vincent Price, I feel like, would be a little too distracting in that role. I think it would be the same amount of over the top that Steve Martin would have been. Right. So I feel like they met the really happy medium with the cast that they pulled off here. Yeah. I am going with, it's got to be a 10. It it's has 10. to be. It's a 10, and does that include a Tim Curry bump? Or it is does, because that... I was going to go nine, yeah. and in my head I was like, I'll just add the bump. It's fine. Add the bump. That is a 10 for casting. This so good. Protagonists. Is it Janet and Brad? I guess. I think so. In that case, they're totally fine, but yeah. they are kind of discovering new things about themselves, and they're <laughs> like embracing- they like sex with Tim Curry. Well, I mean, how could you not? I get it. <laughs> They're both totally fine. This movie doesn't work without them, again, leaning in as hard as they do. Right. I'm going to go with a seven because they are far from the best part of this movie. Uh, but they're still agree. amazing. Completely agree. That's a seven. Antagonist, Frankenfurter. Eleven. Eleven. And I'm like tempted to break our rule here, but I'm not because it's a hard, fast rule. I hear you. I see you. Eleven. <laughs> Don't you do that. You cannot avatar me. We're not touching hair, you fucking weirdo. I'm just saying, I, I understand why you want to go over 11, and <laughs> okay. I'm there with you, but... <laughs> but also, we should touch hair. This is a society. We have <laughs> if rules. you don't mind, that'd be great. <laughs> 11 for antagonist. Let's talk about the screenplay. It's a great adaptation from a stage show. Absolutely. They don't always work, and this one very much works. Especially when you have a director who's going from theater to film. A lot of times a film adaptation in the hands of that kind of director is not going to work very well, but this is just 
This is so good. Well, I feel like this one works because of how over the top it is, where if you do something like a Phantom of the Opera, we've talked about a couple of times. Yeah. At least the most recent adaptation with Gerard Butler. Yeah. And Emmy Rossum. It gets very cinematic. And I'm not saying that to like diminish what that movie is, but right. they're not playing to the back of the room. Exactly. And this movie plays to the opposite side of the street. <laughs> this movie's playing to a different galaxy. And I feel like that's important to know, because if you look at something like The Producers, the musical mm-hmm. version with Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick, that movie's playing to the back of the room. Yes. You look at Phantom of the Opera, it's not. You no, look at something like is, Les Mis, it's not. It's not. It's a film adaptation. It's not, yeah. It's not the same story. More. It's the same story, but it's adapted. Exactly. This is almost a one for one. Yeah. And that's really, really important for something like this to do, where you yeah. are looking at this constant party atmosphere for the most part. You have to keep the lightheartedness and the enthusiasm going, or else this movie will fall apart. You will Absolutely. recognize how ridiculous Tim Curry is being, but also he's putting on one of the greatest performances that you're ever going to see. Everybody needs to lean in with everything they have for this to work. What are we talking about? Screenplay? Screenplay, yeah. It's got to be a nine. I agree. I like a nine for screenplay. I don't know what would have gotten it over to a 10. I don't honestly know, but I don't either. I feel like this is me trying to ground it just a teeny tiny bit. Just a little bit like I'm trying I to keep called it out honest. fanboying, but <laughs> still. I wanted to give it 12 to antagonist, but also let's, I mean, yeah, let's be, let's be real. I here. heard the words I was saying. Yeah. I'll make it up. Don't worry, everybody. I'll make no, it no, up. No, no, no. We're, we're going to make it up right now. Style and tone. It's an 11. It's an 11. It There's an nothing 11. like this movie. No. And watching this thing, I mean, I've watched it now a bunch of times, but watching this, it's so hard to look away. Yeah. It is always interesting. And it's just as exciting if you've seen it once or 400 times. I completely agree. That right there is a magic trick in itself. The replayability of this is out of this world. It really is. And this is not a movie I put on a pedestal. There are some special movies that I won't watch a lot because I want to keep them special. Like my favorite movie of all time, Wizard of Oz. I don't watch it that often because I want to keep it special to me. I want it to be a special thing when I sit down and watch that movie. With this, I have no problem putting it on and enjoying it every single time. This thing is just a party. Absolutely. So that's an 11 for style and tone. Let's talk about the director, Jim Sharman. Crushes it. So good. To be able to take, again, a stage performance and a stage performance when you're looking at it, you are that fourth wall as the audience. And he, I don't want to say shatters it, but he flirts with it in a fun way where Tim Curry doesn't so much play to the people that he's talking to on the screen. He's playing to literally everybody. Yeah. It is, again, a magic trick. It's a complete magic magic trick. trick. (laughs) Yeah. Agreed. I'm going to go with and eight for Jim Sharman. Okay, yeah, eight. I like to say that a theater production is more of a one-wall production, and when you adapt that to film, you're going to three walls. And that fourth wall is always the audience, no matter what, but you can flirt with it a little more in a stage production, usually. But when you could do that in a movie, it's great. It's something special. And you want else special? What's that? My hubris. <laughs> I feel like I don't that's know why I'm feeling fair. good right now because I feel like we're going high on this. We're fanboying a little bit, and who knows what the 
actual Rotten Tomatoes is, but I doubt I, it's I this high. I haven't looked it up yet. I, I look it up. Honestly, when Brian says impact on the industry is when I will look it up. Yeah. And as he's doing that, that's the first time I'll see what it is as me and him are talking. Just a little peek behind the curtain there. Keep it Wizard of Oz, if you will. <laughs> Next category is music. If this isn't an 11, I don't know what we're doing. Uh, for real. For real. I, I have nothing to say about that other than, yes, 11. Perfect. Moving on. <laughs> there was a, a part that I wanted to mention that Richard O'Brien was concerned that Meatloaf wasn't going to be able to handle Hot Patootie, Bless My Soul. So he gave him the music and said, hey, it's okay if you flub a few lines. Nobody in the London cast has ever sung the whole thing correctly anyway. Meat looked at it and said, what's the problem? And sang the whole thing without skipping a beat. Jesus Christ, he's good. Because Meatloaf is a goddamn professional, and he's he very good at his job. Meatloaf crushes it. Every single time, he crushes it. I've never seen him do a bad thing, except for not get vaccinated. Except for not get vaccinated and die. Yeah, that was probably bad. I think that's like that. actually the perfect way to sum up Meatloaf is, could he act? Yes. Could he sing? Yes. Hell yes. Could he get vaccinated? No. He probably should have, but he couldn't. <laughs> Two out of three, baby. He knew what he was doing. That, that ain't bad. Everybody thought he was going to die in a fiery motorcycle crash, but instead he just, he got real sick because he wouldn't get a shot. That's right. That's an 11 for music for obvious reasons. The time warp alone should be getting an eight, so. At least an eight for the time warp alone. That's going to bring us to box office. <laughs> this thing started off as a huge flop. Huge flop. It had a $1.2 million budget. It's opening weekend, it made $21,000. Oh, my God. <laughs> However, in its extended run that is now running, what, 46 years or something like that? Something like that. 56 years? I can't do math because the 70s was 50-something years ago, not- Well, I mean, the no, year 2000 was 40s. only five years ago. Listen, uh, yes, COVID made it so- <laughs> Years are impossible to figure out. Well, just it was some time ago. It is the longest running theatrical film of all time because it is still played regularly to this day. It is still played to this day. And this, I feel like, is the appropriate part to talk about virgins. Okay, yeah, sure. Let's talk about virgins. I am a theater virgin for Rocky Horror. I'm yes. going to fix that. I certainly hope you do because it is such a great experience. Can I ask you what you had to do? To become, quote unquote, initiated. Donnie, who was the one who put this movie on the random list. Yes. Asked about the initiation for us. Because yeah. he's always in his element. He is. I've never been initiated. So I don't know any of this. I Googled it. I have not read the Reddit article that I'm about to read from of different theaters, virgin sacrifice rituals. Yes. But I'm curious to know what you went through first. Um, well, in an ideal scenario, you wouldn't know going in that there was a virgin initiation ceremony, sacrifice, etc. I was aware that there was one. I didn't know what it was going to be. I saw it for the first time in New York City. I don't remember what theater it was, but we went to a midnight showing, and they asked everybody who had never seen the movie to come up to the front of the theater. And then one by one, we all had to make orgasm sounds for the entire theater. And then the theater got to judge which one of us did the best job. How'd you do? I did not win. <laughs> <laughs> Can you give everybody a little taste of your not winning orgasm sound? Uh, no, that was years ago. I don't remember what my orgasm sounded like back then. You're saying that your orgasm sound has grown along with you? Listen, I don't know. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> 
But uh, yeah, they um, they like to do something that is going to humiliate all the first timers in a way that is competitive. So one person does goes above and beyond, and humiliates themselves the most, and they win. And it's usually some sort of prize. Sure, I'll then, have what she's having. Yeah, easy enough. Exactly. But I've also seen the most recent time was also in New York City, a different place where the virgins were initiated by spanking a cast member with a paddle. Fantastic. So big fan of that one. All sorts of different initiation ceremonies, depending on where you see the show. There are different initiation ceremonies. The most popular one that I've come across just reading this, and these Reddit articles from 12 years ago, which is insane. A lot of the virgins come on stage, they turn around, grab their ankles, and then the cast and audience simultaneously yell, fuck you, fuck so you. that the, they're getting fucked by the entire audience. Right. There's also one where they will form two rows, bend over, grab their ankles, and the second row has to go up behind them and thrust <laughs> into them, which is a okay. fun one. Yeah. Another one is where everyone says a big pledge allegiance to the lips and the virgins get a wet willy. Tame, by comparison. My favorite one was in Pensacola, Florida, virgins had to go to the stage and they had to suck the cream filling out of a Twinkie. That's fun. The audience voted the best performance and the winner got a t-shirt. And I think that's lovely. That is lovely. I like that. There's generally a prize for the best virgin. And the last one I saw was people kind of scarlet-lettered virgins by putting a big V on their forehead with lipstick. Yep. Yep, I've seen that too. So it's relatively innocent things. Just have a good time. Yeah, exactly. It really sets the tone too. If you've never been, you understand what you're getting yourself into. This entire movie, this entire experience is just to have fun. Exactly. When I saw the room, obviously Scotch gets passed around. You have birthday <laughs> cake to celebrate Johnny's birthday. You yell at the screen whenever you see these long transfer shots of a bridge going <laughs> go, by. Anytime go, you see a spoon, go. you yell spoon. Yeah. Like the fucking tick. <laughs> there are similar audience interactions for this movie, um, but it's more of a free form thing. And it's going to be different wherever you go, where people will come up with their own sayings based on the movie. And you just, if you're feeling it, shatter it out. And it's a very interactive experience. It's a ton of fun. If you haven't been, I highly recommend doing it. There you go, folks. Go find your local theater or wherever it might be that's showing this thing at midnight. Go have a good time. It's not like you're going to be sitting around during Oppenheimer three hours long waiting for a bomb to go off. And you're just like, that kind of is making me think about life a little bit, isn't it? Is there a world where we could do a midnight showing shout at the screen Oppenheimer? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a no. It's an I don't know. (laughs) Okay. That'd be pretty goddamn wild. It's definitely something different. How they like roll out the bombs away from Los Alamos and you're just like, go, go, <laughs> go, 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 go. <laughs> That's dark. That is insensitive. <laughs> Oops. Where are you? Um, box office. Uh, box office. Yeah, this movie has made in its run $115 million. Which is, God, it's a 9,600% return on investment. It's obviously at 11. Has to be. That's crazy. And the final category is impact on the industry. It's huge. It's the theatrical movie debut of Tim Curry. It's the longest running theatrical run in history. It's in the Library of Congress as culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. Even people who have never seen this know it. Exactly. And they know there's midnight shows around it. They know that there's an entire culture based around this thing. Yes. It has to be a 10. 
It has any to mention be. of Tim Curry, you immediately think of either Dr. Frank Furter or he's in the top three characters. This is my favorite Tim Curry by a long shot, too. And that says Ooh. something because Tim Curry is a fucking treat. All the Tim time. Curry is a treat. I think my favorite's still Clue, but this is this is a close second. All right, one A, one B. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it has to be a ten. It has yeah, to be. It has to be. And that is going to give Rocky Horror Picture Show a total score of ninety six. Yeah, I knew we were way too high, and <laughs> it's not way too high. It's still way too low because there are still. It could be ninety seven. It could be ninety eight. Could be ninety nine. Could be a hundred. Could be a hundred one. Hundred two. It could keep going. In theory, could have gone all the way up to one hundred and ten. Critically, Rotten Tomatoes, it's got a 79%. Audiencely, it's got an 85%. Okay. Both respectable. Very appropriate. And our number seems incredibly appropriate for us as well. Yeah, it does. It feels like a Beer Me a Movie number. Anyone who sees Donnie, who's always in his element, give him a high five. Tell him thank you. Go check out a a midnight show in Rocky Horror. Have a good time. Yeah, big thanks to Donnie for this one. This is exactly how we need to end this month. It really is. It's spooky season. It's coming to a close. And I guess that means, Brian, next week is your pick. It is. So you're leading us out of spooky season. Into something not spooky at all. Like rubber. Exactly. Like rubber. Which is <laughs> billed as a horror comedy, but then it just turned into a pretentious art house film about a tire. So, Brian, lead us out of Spooktober. What are we going to be talking about next week? Next week, we're finally going to be talking about a movie that you and I have discussed a few times, one that gets often quoted, but I'm pretty sure you've either never seen or only seen once, or you didn't like it, or something like that. I don't know. Next week, we're talking about The Big Lebowski. Fucking Christ, man. I was literally going to pick that in two weeks. (laughs) (laughs) Which is, this is like the most appropriate movie you could have picked, because Donnie, always in his element. Always in his element. It fits in perfectly. I have seen The Big Lebowski one time. There it is. I knew it was something like that. And I do not remember most of it. It was my sophomore year of high school. I shattered my hand Mm. in a soccer game. Makes sense of that one. (laughs) You're not supposed to use your hands. Yeah, well, I I was the guy who used their hands in that game. The goalie man. Sure. And remember, after I shattered it, I got surgery on, I got it all fixed up, and they gave me a lot of pills, which was fantastic. <laughs> so I went to my local Hollywood video, and I rented a couple movies, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to lean into this whole film nerd thing, because I'm a sophomore, and I'm discovering what films are, and I rented Schindler's List and The Big oh, Lebowski, wow. <laughs> and I watched Schindler's List, and the first scene of that thing is just the candle that has all the color around the black and white, and I remember bawling my eyes, like, oh, this is the in the first scene the first scene nothing's happened yet love it in theory the jews are safe at that point (laughs) but i watched that and then after i was like it's time to lighten it up with big lebowski and i don't remember most of it yeah and it's a movie that i've always been like scared to go back to okay and it's kind of out of like fear out of embarrassment internal struggle with the big lebowski and i finally get to address that internal struggle next week Because we're talking a big Lebowski, baby. Can't wait. Until then, thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Donnie, for your submission. Everybody, get your submissions in for next month, because every month we end with a listener pick. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe. Join us on Patreon this month for our worst conversations bracket. Should be fun in a cringy kind of way. I can't wait, man. It's going to be like (laughs) the Curb Your Enthusiasm of conversations. It's going to be great. 
Email us your movie picks, questions, and comments to beermemoviepod at gmail.com or hit us up on our social media. Links to all those are on our link tree, linktree.com slash beermemovie, where you can also find a link to donate to our Extra Life if you are not a member of our Patreon. But really, you should be a member of our Patreon because this month we are giving the entirety of our Patreon earnings to the Extra Life Foundation to raise money for kids with cancer. Uh, we do it every year, and it's a great cause. So get on Patreon. Every single dollar we make is going to that. Every single dollar. Up your Patreon subscription for the month. Take it back at the end of it. Don't give a shit. Really don't. Exactly. It's not about that for this month. This month is all to the kids, all to a good cause. We've done it now four years, five years in a row, something like that. Four years in a row. You guys have all been fantastic. We've donated yes. a ton of money to the kids in that time. Yeah. Not kidding when we say 100%. Yeah. Not and kidding. to everybody who's already increased their donation this month, thank you very, very much. And don't forget to drop that back down before you get charged for next month. Yeah, that's a friendly reminder right there. <laughs> so other than that, uh, follow us on social media, where we always post up a, a post on our Facebook and say, hey, you have any questions about this movie we're talking about? We got a couple. We already read Donnie's question in his yep. element, as always. Always. Derek Ives wrote in, he said, everyone in this is peaking and yes. is an absolute smoke show. Then he put two fire emojis, which I appreciated. Nice. He said, especially Sarandon, but mostly Meatloaf, of course. <laughs> Listen, yes, Susan Sarandon, absolutely in this movie. Meatloaf, fantastic. Tim fucking Curry. Yeah, Tim fucking Curry. Tim fucking Curry. Looks good in corsets, man. Not afraid to say it. There's not a lot of dudes that could pull that off. And he pulls it off. And he, and he somehow wonderful. looks better in a corset than an out of one. Right. I'd rather see Tim Curry in a corset than him <laughs> be a snooty hotelier. Yeah. Agreed. And possibly murderer? Possibly. Who knows? Jeff Miners also wrote in and said, is this your favorite Curry? And we've kind of already addressed that. I'm going to double down and say this is my favorite curry. I've thought about it, and this is my favorite curry. I'm doubling down on Clue Curry, but this is definitely my second curry. It's so hard to pick curries, man. It it's, really is. One of the most painful things to ever have to choose. It, it is a curry's choice. Harder than a Sophie's choice. That can't be right. But still. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody, thank you for your questions. Thank you for listening. Thank you for hanging out with us. Brian, do you have anything else? No, that's it for me. Fantastic. Next week, we're talking the Big Lebowski. We'll see you then.